This is Fordham Conversations. I'm Robin Shannon. The coronavirus pandemic has changed the way we've had to approach going to work, interacting with family, and how students learn. Now there's a plan to have the school year extended throughout the summer. My guest today is against that. Nicholas Tampio is professor of political science at Fordham University. He recently wrote a Washington Post article called Kids Need to Play This Summer, Not Catch Up on School. Thanks for joining me, Nick. Always a pleasure to be here. So we're going to start with hearing former Mayor Michael Bloomberg's take on the issue. We are facing the greatest challenge to public education in generations. The evidence that remote learning has been disastrous for our children could not be clearer. The harmful effects could haunt them and our country for generations, worsening racial income and wealth gaps that are already far too wide. Unless we take bold and urgent action now, reopening public schools without delay is crucial to both civil rights and economic justice. We're in danger not only of failing to tackle harmful and persistent racial achievement gaps, but of making them worse. President Biden should make it clear to states and districts that the time for excuses is over, and to have any hope of catching up the school year cannot end in May or June. Biden should push states to run a universal summer school. Stimulus funding will help states pay teachers to work over the summer and to help make facility upgrades to ensure classrooms are socially distanced and buildings are well ventilated. Teachers are essential workers. Our children need them in classrooms and so does our country. Not just this spring, but this summer too. Uh, as we just heard, Mike Bloomberg wants President Biden to push for universal summer school. But you're against this, Nick. Why? Well, first off, I, I mean, I agree with um, Mayor Bloomberg that, that it's been a year of loss, that there have been all sorts of different ways in which children have suffered since COVID and they haven't seen their friends and they haven't um, done their normal routines. And um, so, you know, I do acknowledge that this has been a year of loss. The idea of making students sit inside this summer seems terrible. It seems terrible um, for their mental health, for their well-being. I mean, kids are depressed. Kids need to be energized. There's so many ways that kids can learn and experience joy and have new experiences, um, traveling to see family, uh, learning new skills like sailing, swimming, rock climbing. Um, just being with other people outside is, if you ask me, that's what kids need this summer. And just the, the idea of making kids sit inside doing the same old, same old, it just strikes me as a recipe for disaster. How has learning primarily online for the better part of a year affected students, in your opinion? Well, so so Congress and think tanks like or and consultancy firms like McKinsey and Brookings, what they've done is they um, have looked, they've they've sort of projected gaps on where they expected students to be if there wasn't COVID and where they would be on certain standardized tests as a result of COVID. And um, for me, these, these, this methodology is very dubious. It's based on all sorts of assumptions and projections. And I mean, I'm willing to acknowledge that students have, uh, have not had their normal routines for the past year. And I would not, not be surprised if their uh, 
performance on standardized tests has gone down. But just in general, beyond this particular debate, I think American education is way too concerned about standardized tests. I think we've lost sight of what the purposes of education are. If you do care about standardized tests, I think the scores will just pick up over time. That it's not, it's right, just it, it doesn't matter the test grade scores of an eight year old. What matters is how they're going to do for the rest of their life. And so over the rest of their schooling, you know, they can make up their test scores. So if you just care about standardized test scores, I don't think it's catastrophic. If you have a bigger understanding of what education is as a chance to grow as an individual, a person, a thinker, a reader, a writer, somebody who can travel the world and be comfortable in different circumstances. These are all things that that need to be addressed. And one way to address them is to let kids have a little bit of fun, to have them play a little bit. There's, there's actually a really interesting philosophical research on the concept of play and how important it is for growing as a person. So that's one of the arguments that I, that I made in my Washington Post article is we need to let kids play. You, you, you learn just a ton when you're playing. I can give just one example. If you're, if you're rock climbing and you're jumping on boulders, you have to make decisions about whether to jump or not jump. And that's developing executive functioning, right? So just in, on a deep corporeal level, you're making all these decisions about, do I go for it? Do I sit back? What is my body capable of doing? What is the, what is the risk? What are the rewards that, um, you know, there's been all sorts of interesting studies about how dangerous playgrounds are actually really good for kids. If you make the if you make a playground too babyish, it's, it's not going to be doing what playgrounds are supposed to be doing. You're supposed to be giving young people opportunities to put themselves to the test. That's what I think kids should be doing this summer. And explain to me what is your take on standardized tests since you're not not in favor of them. Well, I think that standardized testing distorts the purpose of education. I think that. Um, they test a narrow band of skills that lend themselves to standardized testing. So it's not, it's not like I'm against every single skill that standardized testing speaks and, or tests, right? I'm in favor of good grammar or good spelling and, and things like that. It's just, I think that, um, I think that it's just become too much of a part of, of education. And when I think back to what you know, the happiest moments of my childhood, one of them was playing capture the flag at summer camp. And you had to, you know, you had to figure out, am I going to go, am I going to go on the offense? Am I going to be on the defense? How can I, how can I sort of, when do I run? When do I stand back? Uh, you know, beautiful weather and the trees. And so when you're not running, you hear the crickets and you hear the stream and you see your friends all running around. And uh, that for me was just one of the great defining moments of my childhood and so I think if you say, if Michael Bloomberg is saying, all right, we need kids inside all summer, I say, there is a huge cost. Couldn't we find, couldn't America as, couldn't we figure out ways to give children opportunities to develop new skill sets? So I'm against standardized, I'm against the overemphasis on standardized testing because I'm in favor of a rich conception of education that involves the whole body. Now, Nick, how do you think the pandemic has affected students' emotional well-being? Oh, I think kids are depressed. Yeah, no, I, I think I think that I think that kids are depressed, and there are all sorts of different measures that are showing about it. There have been polls of of parents asking how students are doing, and students are suffering, in, in all sorts of ways. And 
uh, you know, it, to, to me, it's just obvious. I don't even know like how you would, I don't even know how you can make an argument against. Um, so I know that people are, are writing articles and blogs saying that it's not been a year of learning loss. And I get what they're, I get what they're doing because they don't want to make everybody feel bad about what they've done for the past year. Um, but I would definitely say that kids as a whole miss their friends, miss their routines, miss their family, miss their favorite restaurants, miss going to amusement parks, miss that, right? It's, it really has been, I mean, I think kids are playing a lot more video games. Um, you know, adults are drinking a lot more alcohol. So I think that, I think that there's definitely been depression. And so for me, you know, the, the, the way to get out of a depression, I mean, don't want to simplify, obviously, if it's a medical condition, it's a medical condition, but the way to get out of depression is to do something fun. And, and so, um, you know, you know, I think that you can, I think you can figure out ways that things can be fun and challenging and rewarding and growing. Right. So I don't want kids playing video games this summer, even though it's fun. I want them, I want us as a society to be figuring out how can we give children meaningful experiences where they can put themselves to the test. Now, Nick, how is the extended school year supposed to be paid for? So, um, I'll give you a little bit of the background is that about a year ago, McKinsey, uh, the consultancy firm produced these reports warning about learning loss and not for, and immediately I panicked and I said, you know, they're framing the problem as one of standardized testing. And if that's the problem, then the solution is to, to do test prep. So the idea for this piece that I wrote for the Washington Post came about a year ago. In January, Congress floated a bill called the Learning Recovery Act. And that's what I, that's what I wrote the Washington Post article for. The uh, Biden administration, their, uh, their stimulus passage passed. And what they did is they said, they're gonna give $130 billion to states to, um, for education. And 20% has to be to address learning loss. Now we're, so the federal, to the answer your question, the federal government is putting up a huge, uh, huge amount of money to uh, for schools, primarily Title I schools that serves a student body that has a high percentage of um, low income families. So a lot of Title I students are going to. Well, you know, we're we're in the middle of the story, and so what I'm what I'm monitoring right now is how schools are gonna make students take summer school. So the federal government has put forward this huge pile of money, over $20 billion for extended learning hours to address uh, learning loss. What I'm just, what hasn't been come clear yet is how they're gonna make students take summer school. But I think it's, I just can't foresee that money not being spent, right? That, that, that that's not gonna, you know, I just don't see that happening. I think principals, superintendents, policymakers, politicians, they want to spend that money. But what hasn't become clear um, in April 2021 is exactly how it's going to be, uh, how it's going to be used. This is Fordham Conversations on 90.7 WFUV. I'm Robin Shannon talking with Fordham University political science professor Nicholas Tampio. We're discussing the possible plan to extend the school year throughout the summer and why he says kids need to play this summer rather than catch up on school. Now, there was an idea um, a while ago that uh, school should be extended because, uh, extended through the summer, 
because um, from my understanding, the background of that summer off for students was so that back, back, back in the day that they could be available to farm during the summer. So the, this argument isn't necessarily new. What, if, what would be your take on maybe having part of the day for school and the other part for play? That's an, that's an excellent observation. And I mean, one, one also reason was AC units, I believe that it's, you know, in the summer it's, it's really hot. Um, I still, I still, I actually still think that's a, a real issue. Um, I think if you make students go to school in the summer, I think there's going to be a lot more fighting just because it's hot and humid and people are going to be squished together and they're not going to have had a break from the school year. So I think you're going to have a lot of hot and bothered students. Um, I have teacher friends who say, we don't want to teach summer school. Like, you know, we, we need to recharge. We need to take a break. Basically the only way that they're hanging on for teaching during the COVID era is because they could get a break. And if you take away their break, you know, so Mike Bloomberg, uh, you know, he helped fund Johns Hopkins, my alma mater. So I don't want to speak too, too ill of, of Mike Bloomberg, but you know, teachers, he didn't ask teachers what they think of this plan to say, you know, be a school teacher with no breaks. So, I mean, I think you, I think if, if the, if the conversation is how can we divide up the 180 school days a year, that's a, that's a fine debate to have. So my wife just happens to think that it's better to have sort of four semesters spread throughout the year and three week breaks after each, after each quarter. So, you know, I think that's, I think that that could be fine. What, what makes me nervous is just this notion of more, more, more. And people will use things about the sky is falling that, you know, if we don't, if we don't have kids in school more, we're going to fall behind economically. And we're not, you know, it's a question of civil rights and economic justice. And I want to say, Mike, Mike Bloomberg, like, why are you putting all this weight on schools to address questions of economic justice and civil rights? That's, that's too much weight for schools that, you know, you can't say, oh, kids poor, it's the school's fault. That's, you know, that's not, that's a very narrow vision of, of politics. And there's a whole, there's a whole literature about how uh, the, you know, critique of neoliberal education that's, that says that it places all the onus on wealth on the individuals rather than the systemic economic issues. So, you know, there's a part of me that says, Mike Bloomberg, that's really convenient if you're saying, well, if people are poor, it's their fault because they didn't do well in school. Uh, so I, I, don't, I, don't, I don't like that, that argument. Um, so I, I think that you need to sort of figure out what's best for young people. That's, that's for me the, the best thing. So beating them with a stick, making them stay inside all summer, you know, that's, that's more adult anxieties than what's benefit, what's good for kids. Here's just a simple rule of thumb that I think is good. Um, look at what wealthy, educated people do with their kids in the summer and try to take that to scale. What do they do? So, I mean, it's not a perfect rule. It's a, it's, what's that? I'm saying, what do they do? Wealthy, educated people, what do they do? Well, I mean, they, they, you know, they trap. I mean, I worked at a, I worked at a summer camp in Maine for, for children of wealthy families. I don't, I don't think that that has to be for everybody, 100%. Like we could, we could talk more about what the options are. But the fact is, is that, you know, wealthy New York East Coast families sent their kids to Maine to, to sail, to swim, to ride horses, to play sports, to do podcasting. There's all sorts of fun things you can do in the summer that are educational and rewarding and are different than school. So um, 
So yeah, that, that, that's just, that's just my, my view. Just figure out ways to give kids rewarding experiences this summer. So Nick, uh, is your argument that summer school will be mm. a focus on training to pass the standardized test rather than actually learning subjects to better train the student's mind? Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, 100%. So one of the, um, the Learning Recovery Act, there was provisions that said summer school programs have to be evidence-based. And then they said, if you want to figure out what evidence-based, you have to go to the Every Student Succeeds Act to see what, how they define um, evidence-based. And as it actually just a little gossip, I, um, I had Obama's education advisor come and speak at my class at Fordham. And we were, he was, we were talking about, about how the law required programs to be evidence-based. And so that was, one of the, that was one of the accomplishments, if you will. Can you um, define what, what's evidence-based? What evidence-based means is that uh, programs have to have to, there's different ways to do double-blind, peer-reviewed, um, systematic sort of collection of evidence that certain programs will improve student outcomes. As far as I can tell, there's only one or two outcomes that they're interested in, graduation rates and test scores. So it's just, I can use I can keep using the vocabulary, but I could or instead well just do is say what it really means, which what it means is programs that raise, raise student test scores. So the fact is is that if you do if you do certain uh, programs, you know, intensive tutoring or iReady or the Maps program or different types of curricula, well, if you do them, they can raise test scores. And so what Congress and the Biden administration wants to fund for summer school is academically focused, quote unquote, academically focused programs that raise student outcomes. In other words, standardized testing. And so for, you know, for me, this, this Washington Post article is, is one article in a, long, in a long strand of books and articles that are trying to say, listen, we have got to stop focusing on standardized testing. Human beings have ears to listen to beautiful music. We have eyes to look at art. We have hands to make things. We have feet to walk. And instead, what we're doing is we're just doing these narrow, these narrow testable skills that require children to sit for long stretches of time. And children, you know, evolutionarily, we weren't designed to sit for long periods of time. We were, children are sort of, inclined to play, to run around, to taste the world, to touch the world, to play the world. So yes, we have to civilize them, but let's do it intelligently. Let's do it thoughtfully. Let's do it carefully. Kids need, kids need recess. They need to run. They need to, they need to jump. They're right. There's so many, there's so many ways that you can sort of be uh, thoughtful about how you educate the children. And so when sort of billionaires like Mike Bloomberg or, or, Senator or representatives like uh, Bobby Scott from Virginia, who's the chair, the chairperson of the House Committee on Education and the Workforce. So Bobby Scott and Mike Bloomberg are like, let's just have kids all inside all summer doing standardized test prep because of civil rights and education and, and the economics. And I want to say children are little animals. They need to run. They need to swim. They need to, they need to play. They need to have fun. They need to throw a Frisbee. Like they're just, they need a chance to, to grow as an entire, as an entire being, right? Because otherwise 
you're going to have to be doing, you know, suspensions and uh, dis uh, what is it called when you have to stay late? Susp uh, um, detention. And detention. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Detention, expulsions and medication and, you know, yelling at them and giving them discipline. No, stop it. Let us be kind to children. Nick, do you know if there's going to be recess in this uh, extended summer school plan? Well, I have a I have a a good college friend who's in Los Angeles, and he he his point was that if you know school can be school can be a safe place for children, school can be a place where people see their friends. So summer school is not the worst thing in the world. That's that's one of my friends said to me. And you know, I want to acknowledge the fair. The, the complexity of the debate and um, you know, the point my mom said when the Washington Post article came out is, isn't school a safe place for some of these children? So don't they deserve to, if the choice is being inside and being versus being in a school, isn't being school better? So, right, I mean, I wanna acknowledge that there is some, some point to that. It's just, for me, recess is, is like a horse or uh, an appetizer and I'd rather them just have a full meal of it, um, so the uh, the Christopher the senator from Connecticut, he wanted a uh, certain amount of the money to be going towards summer camp. So we were kind of on the same wavelength, but he uh, he was still working within the framework that it have to be evidence based and still would have to have an academic component. And and if you just ask me, you need a rest, you you need a full break. So, you know, recess is not bad. Seeing friends is not bad. Being in a safe place is obviously a good thing. But for me, the choice shouldn't be, be between nothing and school, that we can figure out ways that kids can have rewarding experiences this summer. So, uh, Nick, even if kids don't have summer school or school this summer, uh, how do we guarantee that they'll get the opportunity to play? Because, you know, not every family can afford summer camps. Yeah, so I, I mean, how you, like, like I was saying earlier about standardized tests, how you frame the problem frames the solution, frames possible solutions. So if you frame the problem as low test scores, the solution is raised test scores. If you frame the problem as kids need to play this summer, then the range of, then the conversation becomes, well, how can we enable kids to play this summer? And so um, when I was writing this article, I was reading reports from Brookings Institute. And I was in, in particular, um, the, there's this one researcher at uh, Temple University, um, Kathy, Kathy, well, it's, it's, it's escaping me at this exact moment, uh, Kathy hirsch Pasek, And so uh, Kathy wrote me an email after my Washington Post article came up. And I was glad she did because we're thinking on the similar, on the similar wavelengths. So, Places like uh, institutions like the Lego Foundation, what they're really trying to do is figuring out how can they help fund and create and give seed money to urban playscapes. So how can you figure out how to create summer camp within a city? How can you make wonderful, uh, wonderful city playgrounds? How could you in how could you do something where you take advantage of Central Park? How what are ways that you could, right? So they're, they're really trying to figure out, all right, how do we give children opportunity to get fresh air? And so, you know, I, 
our country's big. There are a lot of different perspectives on this and the solutions are going to differ if we're talking about Detroit, if we're talking about Alaska, if we're talking about Maine, if we're talking about San Antonio, right? All these different, I don't want to give a one size fits all. What I, what I see my view, job doing as sort of a scholar who wants to participate in these public debates is saying, let's expand our imagination of what kids should be doing this summer. So right now the imagination has been captured by standardized tests. I want us to imagine riding horses, right? Mike Bloomberg's daughters love to ride horses. Cool, you know, let's figure out more ways for, for young people to have, uh, to, to ride horses. Theater camp, music camp, football camp. There's lots of great ways that children can educate themselves without sitting at desks preparing for standardized tests. Nick, is there a way to quantify play? I myself, uh, I myself am wary of things like that. I mean, I realize that people want to want to play the game or speak the language of the of the day, but just for me, I mean, just philosophically, play means spontaneous, self directed activity, right? If you, um, I had a Twitter exchange this past week with with a researcher at the OECD, which is this international economic body that's very interested in education. And there was this blog talking about how we should set learning goals for play. And I said, that, that literally defeats the purpose of play. You know what I mean? When you get together with your friends, you're like, hey, good, great to see you. Let's go play. Oh, what are our learning goals? Nobody does that, right? You know what I mean? So what, I mean, what you could be, you could be thoughtful and conscientious about it and we can have those conversations and things like that. But at least for me right now, I don't know really how you could go about quantifying play. And Nick, how do you think the learning loss caused by the pandemic should be addressed? Well, what I would like to do is for us to use this as an occasion to reimagine education. I, lots of people are using the language of reimagining education, but I, I don't really think they're going there. I'm very interested in this American philosopher named John Dewey. And John Dewey believed that you learned by doing things. And so you learned by, by biology, by gardening, and you learned, about, you learned about water and physics by sailing, and you learned about teamwork by being on a team. Now, as you get older, it gets more abstract, it gets more complex. So you're not playing with blocks your entire life, but you're basically, you're always making a connection between what you're, what you're doing in life and what you're thinking about. And I mean, what I would love is for, for the Deweyan perspective to be part of these debates, right? That John Dewey, when he was a professor at Columbia uh, Teachers College, he was one of the people he was arguing against was Edward Thorndike, who was one of like the founders of standardized testing. So one way to view the history of American education for the past century has been a debate by, between Edward Thorndike, who emphasized intelligence testing, and John Dewey, who said, kids need to be experiencing the world. They need to be making connections between their lives and their academic studies. They need to be hearing guest speakers. They need to be breathing fresh air. They need to be building structures. So what I would love is that is to bring the Dewey in perspective. And that, that's the thing, that was the idea that I wanted to, to do with this Washington Post thing. Said, it's sitting in a desk preparing for standardized tests way constrains what education should be. Let's start taking seriously gardening, building, 
sailing, playing sports, playing musical instruments, being with friends, reading books that you yourself choose with nobody forcing you to. That's what I think we need to be doing right now. And speaking of debates, Nick, you were planning to debate Michael Cohen in Washington. What was that debate going to be about? Well, you know, it's kind of it's kind of a dream come true. I've, I've, I've got funny dreams, but um, I've been I've been very involved in the Common Core debate since it rolled out in New York uh, since 2012. And uh, the American Enterprise Institute asked me if I wanted to debate, participate in a debate. There were several people, but one of the people I was going to debate was um, the person who used to be the president of Achieve, which is one of the groups that led the Common Core State Standard Initiative. So hopefully this COVID thing passes and uh, <laughs> everybody in, and everybody in the debate still is, um, is, in, is itching for a fight and then, you know, intellectual fight, just to be clear, you know, so uh, I think, you know, hopefully that, hopefully that, hopefully that will be rescheduled. And you're gonna come out with uh, intelligent guns ablazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'd like to thank my guest, Nicholas Champio, professor of political science at Fordham University. His Washington Post article is called Kids Need to Play This Summer, Not Catch Up on School. For Fordham Conversations, I'm Robin Shannon.